Hello, everyone. This is the SaaS Ad Lab podcast. This is episode number two. And today we have for our guest, we have Jason Kanigan. He is the founder of Cold Start Technologies, and he's also the co-founder of a sales, a third-party sales company, The Closing Engine. And Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit more about those? <laughs> so The Closing Engine is the project that I worked on for the last year and a half for going full-time into Cold Star. And The Closing Engine is a third-party, as you said, Closing is a service, sales is a service business for high ticket offers. So things that it used to be $4,000 and up, now it's $6,000 and up. Um, so although I don't uh, spend my time there, I'm still talking to everybody. We're all buddies and <laughs> you know, still, still getting along. So for anybody who's got a, you know, a product or service in that price range who wants a good, competent, consultative slash challenger selling style help we mm -hmm. don't do the or they don't do the pushy aggressive features right. and benefits overcoming objections old school wrestling in the mud style we don't believe in that uh go check them out at theclosingengine.com now cold star uh which i named i wanted a sciencey space name and i did a bunch of research for an afternoon pulling out a whole bunch of terms and I really like cold star and it's a real thing. It's a star that is burning, but not very bright or very hot. Okay. And that's that's very like compared to our sun, it's a little white dwarf burning away there. Uh -huh. And so the idea there that I had is uh, getting the most out of what you've got. So whatever the, just it, like imagine a, like a Dyson sphere around that sun, pulling out mm -hmm. all the energy that it could out of this cold star, right. To make use of it. So that was the idea there. And what we do is, a lot of process documentation and process engineering, which means chopping stuff up into little steps mm -hmm. and then going, do we need this? <laughs> you know, is this, is this necessary or can we eliminate it or can we do it in a better way? And so we spend a lot of our time doing that. And that is very important for tech companies, although a lot of them don't recognize it. Mm -hmm. So is this something that, how did you really get into you know, cold start and what was your driver as to what made you actually, you know, become interested in this kind of work? So my training, like more than 20 years ago, <laughs> was in uh, factory management. It's called operations management. And that's the process engineering, continuous improvement, mm -hmm. managing people and stuff like that. And I got to be a plant manager when I was 25. And when I was 26, I had like 150 people reporting to me in six departments. That's awesome. That's a lot of people. Yeah, but I found out it sucked. Yeah. It just really <laughs> was like running a little village of tattletales. Uh -huh. And uh, and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Like I want, I want Star Trek. I want the team of people who know why they showed up today, right? Mm -hmm. They have the values, they have the principles, they have the skills, they want to be there. I don't want someone coming up to me and bitching that, Joey took an extra 10 minutes on his break. Like, I don't care. It's uh -huh. the job being done. So, uh, so I wanted to work with really high level individuals on exciting projects and not just do grunt work. <laughs> so really focused with, yeah. with SaaS companies, right? And do you like to work with, that's, that's uh, one area. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we, go ahead. Yeah. We do a lot with manufacturing as well. Cool. Um, Very cool. And, and health state, safe patient handling. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a big area. And so I, was a, I was a product manager for an Inc. Top 1000 company for um, medical equipment. Okay. And so I pull all that stuff. I got, I got educated all by uh, the, the industry there, the industry associations. I'm like, cause like just, just by way of examples, so people know what I'm talking about. If you have a hospital, they they shell out like millions of dollars a year because they drop people on the floor. Mm-hmm. I'm not joking. This just happens. It's accidents. They have insurance for it. Say it's $2 million, right? Well, if you can go in there and sell them half a million or $1 million worth of safe patient handling stuff to make the, the moving easier, mm -hmm. there's plastic boards, there's overhead kind of crane things, lifts that you can use and whatnot. Um, and people have to be trained up on this stuff. Say you do that for a half million or a million, it's just cost benefit, right? Yeah. It's a no brainer. But any industry where there's a need for compliance, is a good one for us, right? So they they get it. The question get is who are usually the companies that you see that are seeking out this kind of service and do they usually know 
exactly what it is that they need. That's that's the issue with software as a service, yeah, and tech firms, because they're usually going crazy Mach 2 with their hair on fire, right? <laughs> and, uh, and blowing money on ads, and they don't care, you know, that kind of thing, right? So I have to find the specific kind of um, business owner that I want to work with, who's okay. got their head screwed on their shoulders, they're brutally self-honest, they, they don't want to... You know, I write this copy on my LinkedIn um, profile. They don't install a new human shield CMO every six months to shield them from the truth, right? And then blame that guy and fire that guy and replace. These are brutally honest people who take responsibility for what's going on, uh, and they know about it. In manufacturing, all the lean uh, production, Six Sigma guys, they all know about it. Uh, in healthcare, in food, food and pharmaceutical production those guys know it because like if you screw up hey people die right so we don't we don't need salmonella going out everywhere and we don't need pills that uh, don't work or do something different than what's expected. Supposed to so these yeah. are great fields now in the tech field uh you know once in a while I, on my own show the cold star project i've interviewed a couple of like a cto and and um head of a software as a service both those guys are scaling big time. One, one had passed half a million. The other one was heading off to a million mm. in revenue. Those guys understood the value of processes and they were keyed into it. They were like, yep, you need this. Were those two, did they happen to be funded companies? Nope. Nope. They're, they're self-promoted, self-created mm -hmm. people. So, yeah, yeah. I find that sometimes the, the, the companies that tend to find, you know, all the issues that, that are, whatever they may, they may be facing, sometimes they're brought on to them by someone else, whether it's an investor or someone else that tells them like, this is something that you need to get fixed. Right. Then that they're going telling them. Uh, so it's kind of surprising that it's actual companies that are, you know, on their pretty much on their own with their own money, their, their own dollars. Uh, and they're realizing that they need the help to in, in order to right. get taken care of. Well, and I have to be clear here. Um, this company has been around, I've been operating it since December, 2016, but it has only gone full time since June of this year. So, uh, I would be lying if I said I have gone everywhere, done everything, tried every niche. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I do have a list, an ongoing list of, um, companies that are receiving venture capital funding and their amounts and where they are. And I could, uh, probably, I wouldn't want to do it myself. I could probably hire someone to go through and pick uh, the niches that we want to work in, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and go approach those people with that. And what is one of the niches that most interests you? Uh, I, well, okay, I want to get into space, right? And the way into that is probably aerospace. And so that's an area that I'd like to get into. Um, but tech is always good. I mean, tech is always receiving lots of funding. Um, then they spend it like water. I kind of, I kind of worry about these guys sometimes, you know, <laughs> they get the money and they're like, okay, woo. You know, we have 13 customers. I'm like, you're proud yeah. of that. <laughs> and yet they're funded for $3 million or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, or $200 million. You see these amounts and it's, it is, it is great that that much money can be raised in, in America. It's crazy how much these companies. wasn't true 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's not just one time they get multiple. Yeah rounds of, of funding and things like that. So right. while you're doing, you know, audits on these businesses and things like that, what is, mm -hmm. what would you say is the number one um, issue that you're noticing most companies go through? And do you see issues at different levels? So let's say whether you're taking a look at a company that only has 10 employees compared to a company that's mm -hmm. like 50 uh, and, and what kind of things do you notice that are coming as they scale? Right. At, yeah. Like the minimum size company I want to work with is 12 people because okay. Uh, at that point, I've noticed this over time, both as an employee uh, pre-2012 and, and since then running my own businesses. That's the point at which you go, eh, okay, we'll just hire another person. Yeah. Right? And before that, it's, oh, I got to make this careful decision and everything, you know, right. and it, it's slow and whatnot. And they're, they're nervous about it. But now they're just, eh, I'll just hire somebody. And, uh, and so that's good. But uh, as, as a guest of mine said on a, on a recent show, the stuff that you need to be doing at that 12 person company is different from 50 mm -hmm. person company, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's a different stage of development. By the time you get to the 50, you're going to start seeing silo groups, 
right? Mm-hmm. The marketing, like, and, and uh, uh, let's say um, I was a credit manager in my late 20s. I, I spent four years collecting $2 million a month in receivables every month. Mm-hmm. Um, the credit department was one power group and the general manager office was another power group and the branch staff and branch managers were another group and then the end customers were a fourth group and they all have their own agendas so if credit being the hey we got to protect the assets of the company police bad guys here shuts down a customer account well the customer's pissed off the branch is pissed off right and they go to the general manager who goes to me or my boss and starts screaming at me what are you doing because they don't really understand what credit is. They think it's a sale when they hand you the thing. Though the customer walked out the door, they had the thing, you got nothing, right? You got a promise to pay. So there's a whole educational process. And that took me a year, year and a half to get through to those folks. And then they started making decisions the way I would. And then in the fourth year, uh, I was in British Columbia. They, a lot of my branches were in Alberta and four of my branch managers out there invited me to come and hang out with them. This was in. 2004 2005 Mm -hmm. so you know and you don't invite someone to come and spend a few days with you drinking in a trailer in the woods and (laughs) hanging out on ATVs and playing campfire golf if you hate their guts right so uh, so I I consider that a big win so that that's the kind of thing that's going on in bigger companies at the 12 person level Hopefully, you've got a, a founder or CEO that's beginning to back off a little bit about micromanaging everything. Mm. They're hopefully starting to be a little bit comfortable. There's a lot of marketing issues in those companies. Um, they may have a sales team of one, two, three people, uh, but they typically don't have a consistent sales process. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily know their numbers. They're still just throwing stuff at the wall and, and something's sticking. They're making money. And cash flow covers up a lot of goofs, right? If you're, if you're making some cash, there's a lot of screw-ups under the surface. Bad marketing, bad processes, uh, which lead to quality problems. So is that and, the reason why those things are happening? Uh, I mean, obviously not the main reason, but for let's say, okay, well, I have this company and it's profitable. So mm-hmm. there's no reason to really look into everything. Why do I need to mess with it? Right. And that's why you need that, or I need that, <laughs> of that, that brutally self-honest business owner who's willing uh, to look reality in the eye and go, oh, this is horrible, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't like it, and, oh, and I'm going to have to make an investment here and make some changes, but that's the way, this is the secret, mm-hmm. uh, this is the way, Lewis, that you get to that next revenue plateau. You can't go from, there's a wonderful um, graphic in a, in a book about scaling where it's like this and then the next plateau and the next plateau and companies try to jump and there's an increasingly smaller amount of companies obviously at each Mm -hmm. plateau right but if they don't change how they're doing what they're doing and what they're doing then they die the guy calls it the valley of death in between each plateau Uh and and so you got it the stuff you did to get you there is not the things that you're going to be doing to get you there. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not going to happen. That sounds simple, but what do you hear out there? Oh, we just got to get more customers, mm-hmm. right? Oh, we just, they they are on the search for the next bag of money. A lot of the time that'll solve the problems. No <laughs> money, money enhances what's going on. It does mm-hmm. not fix what's going on. So that, that's what, that's a lot of what we see. So sometimes it's executive time being used the wrong way. Um, there's a case, I use this on my, uh, my website of the Stephen Monaco, the $50 million man running data storm, this huge licensing software company in the nineties. And he's me- growing, they're growing so fast. They're bringing on people every day and they're boom, expanding to sp- the space they've gotten moving and, ex- you know, expanding to fill out that space and going, what are we going to do? Right. And he's meeting people and spending half the day walking them around by hand. And it's like, dude, why don't you have a, a, a manual, right? An SOP or a welcome manual and get them going or assign somebody else. Like, you should not be doing this stuff. Finally, you realize that, right? But you think there's an executive of a, of a pretty big company, right? It's, it's, I, I'd like to be running a 300-person company, right? Yeah. Who's spending his time shepherding new employees around. Like, that's, that's great for a high meet and greet kind of thing, but it shouldn't be all day, right? Right. So, 
a couple other situations where people would get use out of us is if they're buying a business, they just bought a business. Okay, what did you get? You were sold a bill of goods. What did you really get here? Right? Uh, what what is the the cash flow actually looking like? The employees that you got. There's often a bad apple in there. What when, are the biggest issues that you find when someone buys a business? Someone got rid of it for a certain reason. Yeah, um, that reason could be the owner died and the relatives got a hold of it and they don't want it and they dispose of it at a, at a good price, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's, if you're sharp, that's what you're on the watch for, right? <laughs> and you know your niche. So yeah, they, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, oh, they got rid of it because something's wrong. It's uh -huh. like uh, I go out on Craigslist and I buy camera gear, right? Uh, somebody's selling a five-year-old Canon camera, there's nothing wrong with it. He's mm -hmm. just upgraded to the one that's two years old, right? Or the new one. So that doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but um, attitudinal stuff or broken processes and, and feedback loops that weren't in place. Feedback loops are hard. And I, I, again, I've talked to guests on my own show, The Cold Star Project, where they will have agreed with me, uh, consultants and, and CEOs alike, that feedback loops are the toughest things in the world. You think you've got good people, you think you've thought about this stuff and what the consequences are and outcomes in that, and then something happens and it breaks and you don't find out about it for two weeks. It just, and you're burning money yeah. <laughs> and productivity the whole time. That goes on all the time. So finding out, okay, does this thing work? the way it's supposed to, right? Does the machine, we put energy, resources, people, a bit of money in and hopefully get a chunk of money out, right? We want a yeah. 1.5, 2X, 3X, 10X, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, our our uh, investment into revenue, but does it really work that way? So um, just documenting the processes. And then if people are selling a business, that's another great situation. If you've got a business and you're selling it, uh, one of the fastest and best ways to raise your valuation is to get standard operating procedures written down and having a cold star agent go in, be an independent third party, right? We didn't do this ourselves. We brought cold star in right. to write down these processes and document and do the quality assurance thing, the ISO thing. Are you doing what you say you're doing? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, that will raise the valuation of, of your, uh, your company because then it becomes a bit franchise-like, right? right? And so that makes it a marketable, sellable asset. Definitely. So what, do you work with any franchise models at all? Uh, well, I was, I was a um, product manager at an Inc. Top 1000 franchise. So as a senior manager there, I got to see how all this stuff worked, mm -hmm. right? And I got to see uh, good, th mostly good things, um, I got to get educated on the bad things that can happen yeah. uh, as you grow. So I, I caution people a lot and they don't like it. <laughs> this is the brutal reality thing again, right? Uh, you cannot go and try and take a business that isn't working and go, well, I'll just write it up and franchise it or I'll pay some doofus seven grand to give me a templated, uh, poop through a goose version of a franchise document with some branding licensing and whatnot. I mean, if you haven't got this thing figured out to where it's profitable, you have no business going out there and trying to sell it to other people. That's not right. Okay. So, and that's the part that turns people off because they're looking at it as a money grab way of doing things. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a good business model and it is working <clears throat> and you understand what you're going to do about franchising. We could dig into this for an hour, by the way, maybe, maybe we should on a, on a future episode, but um, how you want to work with franchising. The big decision is, am I going to protect uh, the, the geographical regions or not? Mm. Okay. So you can do the bath fitter or subway model where they're just like all over the place, right? Mushrooms competing with each other. And the problem with that one of the many problems with Subway, those of you who are interested in franchising should look up the history of Subway franchising and the trouble they've gotten into mm -hmm. over, over the many years they've been around. They're still around. Uh, is um, the, the $3.99 or $4 sandwich. And that, because that's price cutting. Mm -hmm. It's a cheap sandwich that the 
the franchisees don't want to offer. They're like, I can't make money on this sandwich. And I feel if I don't offer it, the customer's going to go over there to, the one like, to that other franchise. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm going to lose the dollar. So they, they grin and bear it. And that put a lot of franchisees out of business. So, so does that sound good? <laughs> you know, so there's, there's all these like trickle effects, right? Or you get a, a franchise business like the one that I worked with where we did protect our, um, our, our franchisees. And we were not interested in making money on the franchise fee. We lost a little bit of money on the franchise fee. It was like $40,000 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And we'd lose a bit of money on it because we didn't want that the president took me aside early on while I was there and said, we don't want uh, grandma in Kansas with 40 grand in the bank. That's not good enough, right? They got to have uh, expertise and some entrepreneurial ability, more funds because this is going to cost more than that. Mm -hmm. And to understand what this is going to take. And our best uh, franchisees in that business would buy multiple neighboring geographic areas. Um, like our best, our best bunch that I can think of bought four. Um, they were in Northern Texas and a couple of like Oklahoma and that some touching states. Yeah, yeah. And those folks, they were well capitalized. It was a great entrepreneurial family. They owned some hospitals. And this was like elderly mobility equipment, safety equipment and that. So big overlap in, uh, in need. And they understood it. So yeah, you really got to think about that. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to protect your, your franchisees in their geographic areas? What are you in this for? Right. Uh, what's your money making model? If your money making model is to sell franchises and make money off the fees, I don't think that's a good idea. Is the answer to your question. Uh, the business that I was in um, centrally ran all the marketing, all the digital marketing for the franchisees. And they charged a big percent of gross sales from the franchisees every month to be able to do that. And I don't know what they're doing today. They, they got bought out after I was uh, done there and uh, by another company uh, and, and good for them, <laughs> you know, uh, but who knows what happened? Like I'd have, to, I'd have to look into that. But as you grow in a franchise business, and I think we're getting at kind of out on a, on a side here, but <laughs> yeah. again, we could come back and talk about this another time. Uh, the, the group of franchisees is gonna grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Right. And you're going to get into this situation where they're going to, there's going to be too many for you to just sit down and have a franchisee conference and talk to them. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're going to have to elect just like the NHL players association elects uh, uh, an executive group to go talk to the owners. Right. Mm -hmm. And they have their negotiations. So you're going to have this franchisee council that meets with you, the owner and hammers out deals and like there's politics in here now right and what happens if they bring a deal back to the franchisees that they don't like even though these guys are also franchisees so very dangerous situation you can get sued by your franchisees is the big risk here hmm. you can get big time sued and companies uh like subway have been sued for grifting <laughs> if you look into their history they've, they've done a lot of things to rip off yeah. their franchisees and uh and also um most southwestern grill had some trouble as well those are those are two examples i recommend people to look into before they get into buying or selling a franchise mm -hmm. so i know a thing or two about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely uh so when it comes to i guess you know the SaaS industries and and, and things like that what are the things that interest you the most in there uh so marketing sales and marketing funnels uh and processes a lot of people don't really have them consistently down uh there's a there's a guy named nathan latka you probably know of who runs getlatka.com mm -hmm. uh great repository of data about uh software companies that that contribute that data Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Uh, and, and, uh, once in a while he'll run a webinar and I was on one earlier this year where, uh, we discovered that most of these businesses, SaaS companies running on a subscription model did not have an individual in charge of churn. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is the craziest thing I can think of. Like if you're, if you're, um, like you can have an individual in charge of that churn as well as other things. But if you're like in the multi-million dollar region, spend 50 grand and get a guy in, or a gal in charge of churn. Like the, the ROI on that 
yeah it's it's moronic not to right yeah. and yet nobody thinks to do it so hopefully he began to change the industry by talking about it on that webinar because that was baffling to me i'm like wow the 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 uh effect of reducing churn yeah is so good for cash flow right because you're keeping that customer retained um market uh just oomph in the marketplace, right? Because you've got a bigger customer base that's sticking around longer, better testimonials, right? This is just off the top of my head, by the way. I haven't planned any of this stuff out, but this is just stuff. If you get people, when do people find out how great you are? After they've worked with you, not before, Yeah. right? So if they've stuck around because they've paid an annual subscription free fee and gotten a big discount versus month to month on that, they're, they're there the longer. They're probably using the thing because they've invested in the equivalent of nine months. Let's say they got a three-month discount for paying the whole thing. You got the cash today, and there's the time value of money. A dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow, right, or next week. <laughs> then you got something, and they're going to get the chance to use this thing and come up with usage stories that are your testimonials, right? Also... Uh, greater chance for looking at things on the negative side, greater chance for them to use the thing, find out all the bugs and troubleshoot it for you, right? Send you the, the notifications. Hey, this is busted and that's busted. So you get, as opposed to a whole bunch of buyers who stream in, commit for one or two months, don't really use the thing and disappear because of churn, yes. right? And so don't you give say, you that feedback. Would you say one of the easier ways to reduce, reduce churn is, uh, by having, I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that do already have a yearly or whatever mm -hmm. 12 month, yep. uh, you know, option. And they're yep. usually pushing for that because like you said, uh, money is better like now. So mm -hmm. what is, I guess, is, is, is it better to have an option that offers that 12 month, uh, whether it's discounted or not, would you say yeah, that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and a lot of business people, guys like me want that decision made and gone. Uh -huh. Like, I don't want to think about it again. Okay. I did my research or I had my people go out and say, okay, here are the three best things. And we sat down and we hashed it out in two hours and whatnot. I'm done. <laughs> right. I want to, I want to make the investment and be done with it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you got guys like uh, Andy at Convertry who does a wonderful job, right? He's got two email lists and he'll tell you about this. And, and I'm a, uh, I'm a subscriber of Convertry and I get these emails and they're, they're called Convertry happiness. And it's awesome, right? Because they're success stories. They're telling you about what they're doing to fix bugs and improve the product and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that's going to reduce churn too, because a lot, a lot of the other things, what do you get? Silence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the money. <laughs> Nothing. And then they charge you again. Yeah. So when it comes to, I guess, brand loyalty, uh, there's a ton of options, right? You have like for any service, really, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head specifically, but you have a ton of different options for each specific, uh, whether you're looking for a chat or a messenger bot or whatever it is, you have options. So do you find that people that, I mean, obviously when you do the 12 month contract, you're kind of stuck for a while, but would you say that those specific individuals would someone that joins on a month to month, are they more loyal than someone that joins on the full contract? Uh, and I guess this, this could definitely vary by company by company, right? So there might not be a clear answer to that. So I guess who stays longer is the I, I would imagine those who commit for the full year mm -hmm. uh, are going to get the ear of the developers a lot more easily. Okay. Right? Because they've shown skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And, and I would, like, I get, I get on calls with these guys and say, look, we're going to do this. What are you going to do for us? Uh -huh. <laughs> right? I'm a sales guy. I have to negotiate. And, uh, and I, I'm not out to, like, screw people for the best deal. It's a very, yeah, yeah. you know, my, my ex-co-founder will attest to that. I'm much more nice about it. <laughs> so, but, uh, but I do want to know that they're, they're responding, right, mm -hmm. to that skin in the game and that I'm going to be able to go to them and say, look, this thing is broken. Uh, we need to get a fix going. And I'll, I'll give you a good example from the closing engine, third party uh, phone systems, right? Call, call apps. Okay. Mm -hmm. We went through like four of them. Okay. And 
two of them were run by pretty good, nice groups of people. And, uh, and, but they all kept breaking, yeah. <laughs> which is the problem. And the funny thing is, uh, after the fourth one, we went back to the first because they had been so nice service. Yep. Because we, we, they responded to us and they had also fixed a lot of the mistakes in the nine months that we'd been away. <laughs> right? They'd had a chance, a breather to, from our perspective to fix things. <laughs> so, so that was, that was really good. So it, it is possible. And the way that you treat people does rub off. Definitely. Definitely. I think that's one of the biggest things too, that I notice with really any service that I go out there and use is if I'm being treated properly, and I see that the effort is there and mm-hmm. they seem like nice people and they want to actually help you and not just cash in whatever credit card they, they decide to swipe. Right. Um, it definitely helps when people are nice. So I think that's probably the easiest way to reduce your churn. Uh, yeah. It's by just being a nice person. Yeah. Um, Show that you care. Show that you give yeah. a damn. They're yeah. like, they are buying your SAS mm-hmm. for a reason. Like it's, it's either an integral part of what they do Right. In which case, it's really important. It's like a structural beam in your house. Yeah. And you guys screw that up, the house is going to fall down, right? <laughs> That's not good. Or uh, it's a kind of an addendum for a, a cute, fun side project that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they've got hopes and dreams tied up in that. Yeah. It's not just, uh, oh, yeah, well, we'll get the Nobody buys something like that for no reason. Exactly. So, and on those that do, like the AppSumo guys, nothing against AppSumo. Uh, but there are a lot of people who buy because the price was X. Yeah. And the thing looked good, right? And they're never going to use it. And, and that's, those are often lifetime deals, right, mm-hmm. too. So they're not, they're not exactly what we're talking about here in terms of yeah. a repeat subscription model. But yeah. I just wanted to drag them in there for a second kicking and screaming so <laughs> <laughs> now, now now talking you did mention you know it the, and this is completely just off the top of my head and i want to hear your mm-hmm. thoughts on it uh essentially one of the main things that drew me into in being interested in SaaS, to be completely honest was the designs that mm-hmm. most SaaS companies have very visually appealing websites or whatever it is that it is right mm-hmm. you look good and, and i think that's initially at the beginning was the main thing that interests me because I'm very drawn to just things that look good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I started getting more interested in the, in the industry and things like that. And then I noticed that usually I personally tend to pick something that has a better design. And I want to see if that's something that is anywhere, you know, within cold star, is that something that you also take a look at? And, and do you see that at any level? Hmm be the reason for any issues. Like, for example, let's say that you're starting to see, you know, higher subscription rates and things like that. Would you say that that could happen after a redesign of the website? Yeah. I mean, okay. So I have three years of advanced statistics in my background. Uh, I actually had to take the same course twice. I took it in the operations management program. And then a year later for my business degree, they made me take it again with the same instructor who was a doctor of math. You didn't know? Uh, yeah, no. And he said, on the first day of the second class, what are you going to get to everyone? And I said, well, Stephen, I got 90% last time with you. I'm going to get 90% again. Mm-hmm. And the whole class laughed, and I got 90% again. So talk about fulfilling uh, prophecy. prophecy, right? So uh, there you're talking about correlation versus causation, and that is certainly something we could help people figure out. Uh, we have a thing called the Red Team Experience. That's a great uh, introductory product. Um, that allows you as a business owner to get the, the idea is the red, the red team are the bad guys, right? The blue mm-hmm. team are the good guys. So we put on our red team uh, hats. I should get some hats made, I guess. That'd be fun. Uh, and uh, go in there and kind of attack the business from different angles and find out where are you strong and where are you weak? And, and I'm not just talking about a SWOT analysis here. I'm talking about deeper level stuff. So you would get on a call with a channel marketing expert or a branding expert or, right, or, or an operations expert and whatnot, and then get a feedback uh, on all these different areas on how you're doing and what you can improve. So yeah, design, design is important. My whole design, I went to my designer and said, I want you to mix IBM Watson with the Terminator. 
and, and he came up with it right away on the first uh -huh. time. Like, good, because the whole idea of Cold Star is, is uh, getting compliance. I want compliance out of my clients. I don't want dilly-dallying and screw-ups and false starts on projects and struggling to find information. I want my agents to go in and get what they need right. now because that's the fastest route to us fixing your problem, right? Identifying and fixing it. And the self-aware business owners get that, the brutally honest ones. Mm -hmm. right? It's not about mowing people over, but yeah. we, do, we do want to, to get at what we need to get at. Right. And what it is, now that you mentioned time uh, mm -hmm. and, and, how, and you know, how fast you can get through something, is there a time period uh, that you spend with each company that you work with? It's different every time. Uh, obviously on the higher end projects, the red team is like a two, three week experience. Mm -hmm. So, because we, again, that is the one where we have to, we'll still get compliance out of people, but we need, we might need to wait a day or two to book a call with the right person uh -huh. with our, with the right team member on our side. So who's free when, right. And, mm -hmm. and to get that information exchange going. But once that happens and we can organize it at all, them you know less than a month they've got their uh, awesome product out there that says okay here are your strengths here are your weaknesses here's what you could be doing better and and this is what you're doing absolutely fantastically mm -hmm. right this is the knife edge of, of the marketplace for you guys so <laughs> it's a great it's a great assessment tool uh if you're not sure what to do next it, again if you're about to buy or sell your business um and, and if you a lot of the time like just you get a guy, a CEO who knows that something's wrong, mm -hmm. but can't put his or her finger on it. They, and they just need the outside eyes. Because and I, 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 like I put this on, on the website too, on the homepage, I have a two minute kind of creepy pasta story about the cold star agent going into uh, an organization and uncovering or about to uncover I heard uh, it. an employee who's stealing or something, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of left that up to, and I, I had someone narrate it. Uh, and it, it, it's fun and I want to do more of those. Right. And so I want that spooky FBI CIA yeah. kind of vibe going on. And, you know, if that turns some people away, cause they're a fluffy culture, that's fine. Yeah. Right? Well, probably not that's, bad, yeah. That's, that's what I think is, and I talked about this with uh, the guy Omer from Vervo mm -hmm. last on the first episode and, and just, right. there's some people that aren't going to be a fit and, it, yeah. and that shouldn't bother you and you should know who's not going to be a good fit and it's going to be better for you as you scale, uh, right. whether you're a SaaS company or any type of business, you don't want to be dealing with people that aren't going to be, you know, exactly what you're looking for. So I right. think that's a very smart thing to know from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and then I did, I did actually take a listen to that uh, on the website. I thought it was, it was funny. Uh, so I liked it a lot. Good deal. Let's see here. <laughs> Have we got anything else? Um, I do kind of want to talk about that creating capacity before you need it sort of yeah. thing. That, that is a major thing. Cause we talked earlier about <clears throat> what, what do I see uh, the smaller companies, especially, right? Cause a lot of people on Facebook uh, are in that one, two, three, four, five person range, right? Mm -hmm. One, two, three, especially right. Person range. And uh, they're not at 12 yet. And they're like, Darren, how, how do I, like they think that either VC funding is going to come along magically and they don't know how to do it. And they're, you know, every time they start thinking about it, their head starts spinning and they never get anywhere on it. Or um, they're just looking for that next bag of money or, or gee, something will happen and we'll get traction. Right. Um, what can they do? It's, you have to create the capacity before the financial windfall for growth and to get to that next plateau that I was talking about. And it is scary. It is scary, but um, it's what, uh, my ex-co-founder and I talk about, about driving the car, continuing to drive the car, even when all hell is breaking loose around you and you don't like it. There's a Tony Robbins story from one of his early books. I mean, I remember li living in my parents' house, going to college and reading this. So maybe I was 19. That's how long ago this was, right? Um, and Tony's talking about going out on a racetrack uh, and he's got a helmet on and he's in one of these race cars with the a professional driver who's teaching him in the passenger seat, right? And he's driving and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to crash into the wall, right? I'm going to crash it. And the, the, the 
um, teacher physically grabs his helmet and turns his head back towards the the right. uh, roadway, the track, right? Because he says, Tony, if you keep looking at the wall, you're going to crash <laughs> into the wall. And it's, uh, so that's a key thing here. I think that people get you know, we're all, we're all living in our own heads, right? Our thoughts make up our realities, our, our emotional responses to things, the picture we have in our heads. And so if we keep thinking, I'm going to crash, I'm going to crash, I'm going to crash, well, guess what happens, right? Whereas if you think, okay, I'm going to grow the business, I'm not quite sure how yet, I, maybe I should talk to Jason, because <laughs> he's got a few ideas uh, that don't have to cost you a lot of money. And I'm very interested in lowering your cost of customer acquisition too. That's a major thing that I can help you do. Um, and it's not about fiddling with the funnels you've got mm -hmm. right now. There's a whole new green pasture area of, of people you haven't thought of that you could go get. Uh, so, so creating that capacity first um, for people to, to move into. So you might have to get another developer at least part-time on um, you might have to hire another salesperson somehow right mm -hmm. and and creating that capacity would you say that outsourcing is an easier way to do this or, or usually it it can work um what i want people to take away from this is to be very careful about the culture mm -hmm. you're creating and use that as a as a fit document let's like write it down you know mm -hmm. or shoot a video talking about the principles because like i've got mine and it's a little scary to some people and okay, yeah. you know like we've talked about that's that's good right and we used to do this at um at the closing engine we had a culture document before anyone could talk to jeremy my co-founder they had to go through three or four steps and one of those steps was reading a um, culture document and then next they would fill out a questionnaire and wouldn't you know it, all the hardcore closers would just fade. Yeah. <laughs> they just disappear. Uh, they'd be like super enthusiastic. Oh, I heard about you guys. I want to work with you. And then they'd see that and they'd just vanish. And we'd get left with the consultative types who could close at 30, 40, 50%. Yeah. You know, which was fantastic. And with the attitude that we wanted. So, so and that we, we wanted to build a, an organization, like a family type organization, mm -hmm. right? So. You know, whereas I'm much more on the, in this business interested in the sort of the FBI agent professional kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't care what you do in your downtime, but keep it professional in work hours. So mm -hmm. being clear about that, I think is something people could, could use. And when they go to, the, to find people in the outsourcing, make them go look at that. And then you'll see, as we did, some will just disappear. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And you won't have to have any uncomfortable conversations. They, they yeah. So they pretty much get rid of themselves. Yeah. Yep. They qualify themselves yeah. out. Yeah. Right. That's genius. Uh, when looking at bigger companies that have already achieved, you know, uh, the processes and, and things like mm -hmm. that that are needed to be successful, what would you say are, are some of the things that people could mimic from someone that's already done it? Hmm. Getting a consistent sales process and making sure all your people are following the same thing so that you have consistency. Uh -huh. like I've been in organizations going back to 1999 here where there was a, a trailer full of salespeople in a four building uh, uh, company. All the salespeople had different processes. There was no training, no manual. There was just product and price list and a phone and there you go, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's inside sales and people call into you. No consistency. Uh, that's, that's a major thing. Uh, I spent most of 2016 working with a change management consultant from Holland who worked. Uh, he got hired by an American company at the end of it, which is why we stopped working together. <laughs> so he, he immigrated here, um, which he wanted to do. But he was working with tech companies with a solution that was integral to their clients, like a logistics company, let's say, right? And these companies that he was working with were a thousand people or larger. So they were not small companies. Yeah, not and they had siloization. Um, they, they would get into situations where key members of their teams, especially implementation teams, would get 
caught up in one project and then there'd be a failure on another and they'd have to pull that person off project A and put them on project B and it would end up like pissing off both parties, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> like, why are you taking them off our project, right? And then, and then oh, you're late on ours. So, um, so nobody could win. So th there's a capacity planning thing. I'm actually talking about this in another group on Facebook and somebody said, oh, I've never heard of companies trying to get to 100% utilization. Well, some of them are and some of them are very large and they've learned the hard way that it's good to leave some reserves. So leave, have some reserves. It's like if I have one PC tower and it breaks, like I'm screwed, right? I can't do video editing. I can't have calls. I can't do my regular internet typing stuff, right? But if I have two, now I'm okay, right? If one breaks. So having that capacity or um, cash flow, you know, We've all been in businesses where $50 would make the difference that day, right? And it's mm -hmm. stupid. And you're like, oh my gosh, I made $14,000 last week, right? Mm -hmm. And here I am worrying about this teeny tiny amount of money and I'm screwed because of it. And it's causing all these other fees and embarrassment. And I got to make these embarrassing phone calls and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. uh, having, having a little planning for that as well, and some capacity and not running to 100% efficiency. Um, taking time for yourself and as the CEO, learning how to delegate and say, okay, how can I get these folks to do something similar to what I would do maybe or better, right? And uh, giving them the Colonel Sanders 11 secret herbs and spices about what we do and then saying, go, go have at it. And I have learned how to do that really well. Um, the first bunch of years I worked in my own consultancy, I didn't know how to do that. It's so, hard. I, it's hard I tried holding on, yeah, to everything myself. Like only I can do this. Uh -huh. My clients are hiring me. No, they're not. They're, they are kind of because they're hiring the reputation, but they're hiring for the result. Right. And if you can get them an amazing result with another person working with the parameters that you, you normally work with. The, the, I know copywriters, uh, I've been a copywriter for over 20 years. I know other copywriters who I'd be very happy to delegate stuff to, mm -hmm. right? Say, look, here's the thing, uh, the project, the, here's my take on what we would do as a hook. What do you think, right? And, and be totally happy with them telling me I'm wrong <laughs> or taking what I did and, and sort of emblazoning it in a, yeah. in a much nicer way so well and it's always good to have two different brains on something i think mm -hmm. you know, not always think you've got the best product ever because right. it's not always going to be the case and delegating <laughs> sometimes lead to a lot of really great things uh in my personal opinion i'm sure you can yeah. also relate with that um so jason we've got a couple of minutes left yeah uh, we've talked a lot so it's been good definitely definitely a good call uh, why don't you tell us, you know, where can people find you? And before you do that, one piece of advice that you would give to every, uh, and SaaS specific founders, uh, CEOs, ex <laughs> get somebody in charge of churn, <laughs> get, get somebody in charge of reducing churn. So there you go. You heard it before you heard it now. So yeah. Jason, uh, telling us to get some that take care of churn uh, and then maybe get out of your own head when it comes to reducing cost of customer acquisition uh, you yep. don't have to use the one way there is no one right way and there are whole areas of opportunity that you've been probably blocking out uh, talked about this before in blog posts people have an ideological point of view uh, especially in SaaS, because they're out to change the world Mm -hmm. right they're out to turn everyone into a republican or whatever you know or, or a democrat <laughs> right essentially right with their sass and infect them yeah. with their sass and uh it's a lovely way of putting it isn't it but <laughs> but that's the way they're at and, and so that shuts them off a lot of the time from say cooperating with somebody who looks like a competitor with that mm -hmm. ideological point of view and yet there's a huge overlap yeah i'm giving away a secret here in uh, in terms of audience which if they would not kill each other due to those ideological reasons and went with a real politic sort of empire before World War I point of view, right? Then they could take advantage of each other's lists and cross promote and mm -hmm. that would significantly lower your cost of customer acquisition because those people probably already have awareness of the yeah. problem that is solved. They probably respect your authority or will be able to, especially if the other company says these guys are good. 
right? So you're taking care of elements of marketing here that are that are really important. So those yeah. are the quick things that I would there say. We got a little bit of the the yeah. sauce that. Yes. And let's, yeah, <laughs> that's you know, if we were yeah. using one of those uh, planers, that would be scratching yeah, 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 the surface, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> off the wood to carve something. <laughs> so, uh, what can you do to get hold of me? Okay. Um, I have a podcast. It's called The Cold Star Project. So if you look for The Cold Star Project, it's on just about every platform under the sun, iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, we're based off Anchor right now. I'm also on YouTube. There's a Cold Star Tech um, channel. It doesn't have many subscribers yet because I have a Jason Canigan channel with, you know, more subscribers from all the years that I've been go, on. But go, give go there and sign up, please. If you listen. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you're going to learn a lot about the unexpected challenges of scaling. That's what that podcast is about. Which a lot of people and don't know about. So No, they yes. just think I'm going to throw more money into ads. <laughs> into my Facebook and, ads, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's going to lead you into trouble sooner or later. Uh, it's going to get you to that plateau, and then there's going to be the valley of death between you and the next plateau. Uh, you can connect with me on Facebook, Jason Hannigan. I am going to look at your profile, and if all you do is share silly memes, I'm probably not going to connect. But if you show <laughs> a solid tech, manufacturing, professional background, right, uh, connected with a CPA and had a great conversation with them this morning, then, yeah, I'm going to say for yeah. sure, no problem. And I, I don't care where you're from. I don't go, oh, no, you're from Nigeria. I'm not going to connect or something like that. Or you're from India. I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, as long as you look like you're, you give a damn and you're really into business, you know, yeah. that's the main thing. If you're sharing pictures of lilies with motivational quotes on them, uh, <laughs> I'm probably not going to do anything. Uh, and then you can go to coldstartech.com for um, the ability to kind of, there's not a ton there. Again, this is not a web based business, right? So that's there kind of just for me to show off some personality. Um, if you want to learn more about the red team, it's coldstar.com slash red dash team. And, uh, and you can get in there and see that hidden page. Um, that's a very cool site though. I had, uh, somebody custom program it for so us. It loads like that. really I, fast, right? I haven't looked at that yet. So I'll definitely take a look at that. Okay. Um, uh, well, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so you ran into the video somewhere else? The, oh, the was, that, was that it? Story? Yeah. I just watched the video on the homepage. I believe. Okay. Okay, so you could, there's a button you could click in further there, okay. get to a, an application page to call. But yeah, um, those are the ways. So appreciate this, Lois. I think we've had a chance to really turn the fire hose on the audience there. Definitely. <laughs> some, definitely. some knowledge, Adam. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you hopping on this podcast. Uh, second one ever. So it will mm. be live uh, on pretty much every platform as well. Uh, anchor spotify itunes and so on it'll be on youtube as well and again thank you everyone for watching for listening tuning in and keep an eye out for the next time connect with jason he's a great person great personality and uh, again appreciate having you on here and uh thank you and speak soon bye-bye